like everybody, if they would, to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We are, if you're a guest with us this morning, in the middle of a study on the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're talking specifically about the Holy Spirit as this wonderful presence of unity. This is a true story. It's always nice when the preacher tells a true story. Sometime in the 1940s, Brother Jones, whose name has been changed to protect the innocent for the moment, who was an upstanding Christian man, respected both in and outside the church, manufactured a pump for Brother Smith. Not his real name either. Who was also an outstanding Christian man, respected both in and outside the church. Brother Smith paid Brother Jones for the manufacturing of the pump and put it to use. Unfortunately, Brother Smith was not satisfied with the pump he had purchased, and he took the pump back to Brother Jones for repair and ultimately a refund. Brother Jones, however, thought the pump worked just fine, and he would not return the price of the pump to Brother Smith. The conflict left the brothers with hard feelings between each other and they were now at odds. The incident ended their relationship. And so for a period of over two decades, Brother Jones and Smith went to the same church, sat across from each other every Sunday, but refused to have anything to do with the other. Neither would make an attempt to reconcile, and so the conflict was never resolved until Brother Smith, the one who had purchased the pump, died. Now, that could have been the end of the story. But I happen to know that several children raised in the Jones and Smith homes, uh, or I should say, of which there were several, none of them, not one, remained faithful to the particular congregation of which these two families were part. Whether or not they remained faithful to Christ I don't know, but I know they didn't remain faithful to that particular congregation. And it doesn't surprise me that they didn't remain faithful to this particular church as adults, given the behavior of their parents. Another true story. A church in Southern California in 1933 split over whether or not they should hire a full-time worker to preach and do evangelism. There are some churches that want to do that all Mutual ministry, don't want to hire anybody to do so, and they had a split about whether or not they were going to hire somebody. One group kept the church building and continued to worship at 9th and Lime. 9th and Lime, Lime, the two streets, that's the intersection, okay? 9th and Lime. The other group was able to purchase a piece of property, and they built a new church building for themselves at 9th and Olive. Lime and Olive, both fruits that grow on trees, were two streets, one block from each other. So from 1933 until 1957, there were two separate, small, struggling churches of Christ, which at one time had been one congregation. They were one block apart from each other. 1933 through 1957. What's that? 24 years, they, separate, they worshipped at separate buildings, one block apart on the same street. Now you just think about that. 
where do you park? And while you're on the way to your respective building, who are the people that you're going to pass by every Sunday morning? Because they just parked right next to you. In 1980, after both churches had moved from 9th Avenue, new leadership from one of the churches approached the other church and proposed a merger. The merger succeeded, and by 1986, the combination of the two churches had more than doubled their combined previous attendance so that the one new body that had been formed out of the merger went from 300 to 600 in attendance in less than six years. I find that striking. Another true story. A church in the first century was not getting along. Some members were of Jewish birth, some were not, and the Jewish brothers and sisters were demanding things from their Jewish heritage on Christians who did not have this background. The Apostle Paul decides to help remedy the situation and writes a letter to the church at Ephesus because his calling is to the Gentile churches, including the church at Ephesus, whom he loved and with whom he lived for a long period of time. And that brings us to the portion of scripture we're looking at today. So look at Ephesians chapter 3 with me. I want to get to chapter 4 and we will eventually this morning, but we need to see first from Ephesians chapter 3 some things because it really sets things up for us. And so look first at verse 6. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says the Spirit reveals a mystery. And here's the, here's the mystery that it reveals. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now this is an amazing thing. In Bible class this morning, we were talking about how God is a God who slowly reveals things through us through time. And he reveals himself to us in different ways. And there was this mystery about the Gentiles and the Jews coming together into one body that he eventually reveals. And he reveals it specifically through the person of Jesus. And so there is supposed to be unity in the body of Christ despite one's background, despite one's heritage. We're supposed to find unity. Now, I need some help this morning with a point here that I want to make, and I'm just going to call on some people randomly to come and join me. And if you think, oh, he's got this all set up, I don't. And so you could be called, Lisa Asen, to come and join me. Please come up here now. Yeah, way to go, Lisa. Excellent. Francis, could you come and join me? I would appreciate it. Thank you very much. Who else should I get? Larry? Could you come and join me? Oh, oh, okay, that's fine if you don't want to. But I'm gl- grateful that you said yes. Thank you very much. Who else should I call on? How about somebody from South America? Would you come and join me? Please do. Excellent. I should get one more person. Del Ason. Would you come and join us? Thank you very much. Okay, now what we have to do here is we have to have you all in different places up here. Francis, how about if you stand right here? And I want you to face that direction. Okay? Larry, how about if you face the screen? How about if you face that wall? How about if you face the brick over there? 
And Dell, how about if you look at the congregation like this? You can just stand right here. Okay? Okay, very good. Yeah, you could be. Okay. Now, right now, if we were to try and have some unity with these people, it would be a problem. Okay? Somebody tell me why. You, just somebody go ahead and tell me what the problem is. They're not looking the same way. Okay, definitely not looking the same way. There's disagreement here, perhaps. There's some kind of, uh, of disunity among them because they, they're not looking at each other. They're unwilling to cooperate, whatever it is. Okay, so something is going to have to change to, uh, to bring about real unity among these people. Now, I don't think, though, that they're going to be able to do it by themselves, and so I'm going to have to have some more help. But I need some help this time from somebody who is big and strong, and I need about three or four guys that they would have come up and really help me. Now, all you think you're big and strong, but I'm just going to call on some people, okay? Bob, would you come up and help me with this? Yeah, I actually did mention this earlier. I said, I need some big guys, and he made a comment about his physique, but I told him that was just his own self-esteem talking and not my opinion of who he is. So come on up, Bob. Keith, would you come and help me? Thank you very much. Jeff Lonard, how much have you come up? Okay, so I've got some big guys up here. Bob's bigger than me. That makes him big. Jeff, you're a big guy. Way to go. Thank you for being here. Keith, yeah, 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 you're not a big guy. Come on up. Okay, now why don't you guys intersperse yourselves around this group on the outside. Okay, you have to be on the outside of this kind of loosely formed circle. Okay? All right, very good. Now, these people will just stand up there for the next half hour, and I won't make any reference to them or anything, but... <laughs> no, it's wonderful that they've cooperated. I appreciate that. That's exactly what I need. I want you to look at this passage with me. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that you with power through his, uh, sorry, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now this is such an interesting text to me. This is a prayer. Paul is praying. And he's praying for the church. He's praying for the church at Ephesus. But the whole context of this prayer is unity. And it came earlier when we looked at verse 6 about the mystery that had been revealed that the Jews and the Gentiles were going to come together in one body. Clearly, it wasn't working. And so Paul decides that he's going to pray for the saints. And he prays about some very specific things. Notice he says in verse 15, the whole family derives its name. I think that's very intentional. Paul uses the expression, the whole family here, because he wants to draw them all together and take note of the fact that they're all one big family. Then in verses 17 and 18, he says, rooted and established in love, how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And so he's focusing on the love that is supposed to be there within the Christian family. And I think he's doing that because they don't have the kind of love for each other in the Christian family that they're supposed to have. So he prays for that as well. And then verse 18, he says, together with all the saints. He uses that expression, together with all the saints, because unity is his point. 
And he's praying specifically that that's what the church would achieve and receive, but they're not getting it. Now, they're kind of like these people who have their backs to each other. They're not getting it either. Like, I haven't seen one move made yet by anybody up here toward moving toward each other. Something has got to change. So what's going to have to have to change is that if they're unwilling to be moved, then somebody's going to have to move them. And so that's why we have three strong guys. What I want you to do, guys, is I want you to take these individuals, and, and you don't, I don't necessarily want you to resist them or anything. I just want you to just move them into a pattern that looks a lot more unified than they are right now. What are we going to do to turn them around and get them unified? Go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see this taking place. Okay, that's not bad. You know, that's not bad. There's definitely more unity. There's some side-by-side kind of presence here that they didn't have before. But, like, I don't know about you, audience. My opinion is that they're not really as unified as they could be. Would you say that's fair? Okay. What, What could be done in order to get them to be even more unified than they are right now? Okay, maybe a circle. You could get in some kind of circle. Guys, would you help them get into some kind of circle? there we go that's not bad okay now that's pretty good is there anything else that they could do to make themselves look even more unified than they are right now they could do a group hug they could hold hands they could put their arms around each other for sure okay guys would you help them do that they seem to be a bit resistant okay very good not bad very good okay this is way better than Well, than I even imagined they could do, okay? Very well done. Well, I want you to look at some other verses from this text, okay? No, wait, 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 wait. We're not talking here about disunity. We're talking about unity, okay? As a prisoner for the Lord then, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I just don't sense the love here. (laughs) Okay. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There are some points I want to make about this text that I think are especially relevant and which are so prevalent with our folks up here. Number one. Paul clearly has on his mind Christian unity. This text says, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, where is Paul? He's in jail. Now you'd think that if you were going to write a letter to the church and you're in jail, that you're going to say things like, I'm in jail, I need some money, I need some food, I need some clothes, could you please help me out? But that's not what's on his mind. Instead, what's on Paul's mind is the unity of the church, which just tells me how important that unity is to Paul. Because if you're in jail and all you can do is write to somebody and say, I want you to be a unified body, it must be really important to him. It must be on his mind. Indeed, it is. He wants the church to be unified. He stresses, too, that we ourselves have been called specifically to unity. He calls us to participate in the unity. In fact, he says that our characters, 
our lives are to be changed in light of the call that we have received to unity. And so he says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And the whole context of that text is unity. What's it going to be like, this unity in the body of Christ? So that's obviously an important thing to Paul. He wants us ourselves to be very involved with unity. Thirdly, he says that we are called ourselves to make every effort to preserve unity. Now, I don't know about you, but when Paul says, make every effort, it sounds to me that we need to take it pretty seriously. One of the things I've noticed about human beings is that it's so easy for us to make excuses for why unity doesn't occur. Like right now, these folks... They don't look particularly unified because they know they have to stand here for a few minutes. And it's kind of embarrassing to have their arms around each other for all that period of time while they're up in front of all of you. And so that's a good excuse for them to not look so unified. And we do that. Like we come up with excuses for why we aren't going to make the effort. But Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of faith. And it sounds to me like he wants us to work hard at that, to really focus on what it means to preserve unity. And then Paul says, and it's just like his prayer earlier, the Spirit, he says, is the power that creates the unity. And so we're called to preserve something that the Spirit is doing. Now, the fact is, in fact, I I already used this language. I've said, well, it takes hard work for us to create unity. Or it takes something for us to try and make unity happen. But what does the text say about the origins of unity? Where does, where does the unity come from? When I look at verse 3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Where does the Spirit, or where does the unity come from? It comes from the Spirit who creates the unity, and our task is not to create unity. Our task is to do what? Keep it. We keep the unity that the Spirit already creates. And so here we have some resistant people perhaps, some people who maybe haven't worked as hard as they could or haven't been as open to God doing something among them. But then we get these people together, these three, who maybe push them and prod them and make them focus on unity more than they should. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Human beings are a bit resistant to being as unified as we should be. But the Holy Spirit creates a unity that you and I are supposed to keep. And Paul even says earlier that we're supposed to let our characters, our lives, be shaped by the Spirit so that we can become the unified body that he wants us to be. And so there's something that every Christian needs to do. And that means all of us. It means me. Every one of us is called to be open to the movement of the Spirit within our lives to create a character that allows unity to prevail within the church of Jesus Christ. Now, if unity does not prevail, let's imagine that unity is not present. Let's imagine that they haven't been moved by the Spirit and they haven't decided to put their their hands together like they have and it's such a cute thing they've done here. If, if they hadn't done that, then wouldn't you have to conclude that the Spirit wasn't able to work in them the way the Spirit wants to work? 
And when you've got something going on in your life, and there is a barrier between you and somebody else, and certainly a barrier within the body of Christ, if that barrier is there, doesn't it mean that somewhere there is a Christian who isn't allowing the Spirit to shape his or her life the way the Spirit wants to and to bring about the unity that needs to be there. We've got to be open to allowing the Spirit to work that way in us. So what is the barrier in your own life? What is the barrier in your own life? Ask yourself the question. Ah, There's animosity between me and Susie. I've got a problem with Bob or Bill or Joe. What's the barrier that prevents the Holy Spirit from working in you so that the unity that the Spirit wants to create isn't getting done? And open your heart and allow God to create the unity that he wants to create within you. The Spirit is constantly trying to fix relationships. The Spirit is constantly trying to unify the body of Christ. The Spirit is constantly trying to unify us so that the world will see that we love each other and will respond to the kind of love that we convey. And we have hearts that just need to open up and allow God to work among us. Folks, you've been very patient. Way to go. Thank you very much. Should we give them a hand for being so wonderful? Thank you. Way to go. I don't know exactly where you're at in terms of all your relationships, but there is a chance for you, even today, to make choices about where you're going to be in response to the Spirit's prompting regarding unity. And I hope, I pray, that you're open to the Spirit's lead in that way. In fact, let me say this. The Bible calls us to go to those with whom we think we have a problem and reconcile. The Bible calls us to go to those with whom we think we have a problem and reconcile. And I want to encourage you this morning that if that is present in your own life in any way with anybody, that you will do something, that you'll take a positive step, that you will in fact open your heart to the prompting of the Spirit who creates unity, and that you'll do something to reconcile with that person. It needs to happen, and the Holy Spirit is calling you to exactly that. Will you answer the call? Let's pray. Father, I am fully convinced that you have given to us your spirit as a spirit of unity. And Father, the oneness that we feel as a body of Christ is created by you. I pray, God, you would help us to preserve it. Help us not to stand in the way of the unity that your spirit longs to create among us. Father, if there are people here this morning who have 
some kind of relational difficulty with another, I am specifically asking that you help them to work through that. Father, I pray that you would help them to talk to that other person or persons. Help them to be the one who initiates the conversation. I pray that you would bless the conversation with a sense of peace and harmony, kindness and gentleness and love. And I pray, God, that your spirit would then be able to work among us the kind of unity that you long to see present. We pray these things through Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing, please.